Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. Um, you have been listening to Leah Maloney talk you through the, the, the pre-Bjork Bjork years, I guess. Um, so we've got the album that's, we're not really counting, the Sugar Cube stuff, and then a sort of weird one, weird one at the end. So I guess we're going to start, and this is not a sentence I sort of want to start the podcast, we're going to start with 12-year-old Bjork. Um, 11, Liam, maybe 10. 11? And, and Riccardi, when she was 11, released when she was 12. So there, there is a slice. We're, we're both correct. Yes. Uh, we're going to start with 12-year-old Bjork um, up in Iceland. Um, how, Liam, how did this album even happen? Um, well, I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that um, I heard across, like you remember when we were all on Napster and we were all like dragging things, like you would go online, you would search your favorite artist, and it would just be this raft of badly labeled, badly metadata up files and you'd go oh that's a bit un- of a curiosity the thing i found on there was um her version of i love to love which was obviously very famous and someone sent me that on a kind of mixtape swap a few years ago and i came across where the actual source materials and um it turned out that it was for like a radio broadcast that uh, bjork had done from her school when she was 11 and off the back of that little radio broadcast her just doing a little cute version of um who does i love to love oh god my brain's gone i need my notes Sorry, I'm trying to keep you on one screen and not. I'm singing. I'm singing the words I love to love to a yeah. totally different song in my head. I'm thinking like the Nolans. Is that the one that I know? Is that the Nolans? One? <laughs> sing, it, sing it, Tristan. Sing it. Oh, I can't sing for time. I love about. to love. Oh my baby, baby I just love to dance. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. Trailer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a disco tune originally. That's what it was. Yeah. But yeah, I did. Yeah, did the Nolans do it? I don't know. Um, but it was a disco track originally by Tina Charles, I Love to Love, and that made it onto a little local radio station that was obviously recorded for posterity, and that's the thing that was doing the rounds on all that sort of stuff. But off the back of the popularity of that in Iceland at the time, back in the late 70s, um, Bjork decides to head off to a studio with the kind of support of her mother, I believe, and records this weird little curiosity of an album from 1977 um, self-titled as I said and it's um, a, a strange combination of like some coversy stuff it oh, how do I how do I be kind about this without saying it's just not very good <laughs> well I mean it's not very it's not very good if we're looking at it as part of Bjork's discography for a 12 year old in 1977 or an 11 year old in 1966 it's pretty fucking good to be honest I mean I was. I mean, when I was eleven, God knows what sort of album I'd have made. There is that. There is that. Dragged into Beacon Radio in Wolverhampton because I'd, I'd sung a song. Jeez, oh my God, it would have been awful. Probably Slade covers or something like that. I want to hear that. I, th- I think one of the reasons I get really uncomfortable around this record is because her voice is really not not fantastic. In that you know her pitching's a bit off. She's obviously really young. She's quite um, innocent at this point, and. One of the things that kind of comes up con- constantly throughout Bjork's career is people really taking umbrage at Bjork's voice quite generally. The idea of this kind of screeching Icelandic mm-hmm. pixie that, you know, kind of she cultivates or is cultivated around her in the 90s. This is kind of it at its probably most raw and most extreme. And so I feel like I have to almost defend <laughs> little Bjork here from the mm. detractors. I mean, I, I- guess so. I mean, Sorry, Liz. No, I was going to say I, I, I didn't want to listen to it more than once, 
but I did actually quite enjoy it. I liked the little pixie voice, and I thought for an 11-year-old, it was astonishing, really, and I thought it was really quirky. Bear in mind, I live in, in a house with somebody who plays a lot of, like, the swingle singers and various charity shop classics <laughs> all day long. <laughs> uh, I'm quite used to sort of quirky music, and, uh, yeah, it... it I thought it was really, really interesting. There were some interesting kind of disco tracks and, yeah. Yeah, there's like a, cute, there's a Stevie Wonder cover on there, I think, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, really, I, I thought very creative, actually, and very unusual. You just wouldn't want to listen to it more than once in my book. I wouldn't know why. Unless you were down the uh, disco, maybe. To be honest, there have been many albums over the... Well, two and a half seasons up to this point of, of this podcast that I haven't wanted to listen to more than once. <laughs> yeah, and some, some, of, some of those stone are classic listening so to once. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this sits alongside Tago Mago, no matter how much you want it to, Ewan. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, honestly, I would probably listen to 12-year-old Bjork over Tago Mago any day of the week. But I think that's now just to annoy you. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I heard that she did this, and then they sort of offered her a chance to do another one, and she said no, took the money, and brought a piano. Um, okay. That's the story I read. Um, so even if this isn't Bjork Bjork, I mean, it's a sort of it, it sort of helped her along the way. It gave her the confidence oh, sure. to go off and do other stuff. Mm. And um, that's really cool I, at eleven to choose a piano because I think if I'd been given a load of money at eleven, I'd probably bought a pony or something. So, oh, I'd have bought pogs. Pogs. Yeah. <laughs> pogs. <laughs> <laughs> or a big uh, kind of wall-sized poster of Blake Seven. Liam, do you know how, how sort of successful it was? I mean, was it would, would people in Iceland have known about this? I guess, because I'm wondering sort of more if, like, when she got older and started to do her own thing, whether this kind of hung over her a bit within Iceland as, you know, she's this, like, child star. Oh, that's really interesting. So I cannot answer the second half of that. What I can tell you is um, in the original pressing, it's been repressed many times since, but the original pressing, uh, they only pressed a 1,000 copies. So it was never meant to be this... No, it was never expected to be a, a huge hit. It was probably very well known, considering what Reykjavik has less than 100,000 right. people in it. Yeah, it's most of Iceland, the thousand yeah. copies. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it, if one per household, that's a significant percentage of Iceland that's fully owned a copy of that record at one point. Um, but I, I, I don't think it was ever really held over it because everyone just refers to it as, you know, she was a child at the time. It was just one of those things it's like when you see uh ryan gosling on the mickey mouse club that's not really what ryan gosling mm. does well mm. well um, um wait, which which ryan is ryan gosling because i always get mixed up with the ryans um the emotionless ryan. one yeah the emotionless one. Oh, the very one, very, one, very one. handsome blonde one are, are all the ryans handsome i mean there's a lot of ryans there's the reynolds there's the goslings there's the oh, oh, ryan's. <laughs> you're out of fresh out of ryan um, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, we're gonna, we're going to move on because we didn't. We said this is the one we're not really going to count. Um, interestingly, I mean, after this, in her, I know, teenage years, she sort of went through a string of bands at school, like uh, punk and avant garde and jazz fusion bands, um, and then one was what Kooky? Oh, cool, I mean, cool, cool. I think cool. 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 My handwriting is terrible, but and they got signed by Crass's label. That's right. Uh, yeah. Which is, I mean, that's a pretty good bit of history to start with, like moving into there. I mean, but then what? She moved out, went out of school. We go what from seventy-seven to eighty-eight is the next time we sort of pick up a trail with, well, the Sugar Cube. Oh yeah, nineteen eighty-eight is uh, life's too good. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, how did the? I mean, how did the Sugar Cubes 
how did they end up with that? I mean, I read that it was sort of a bunch of anarcho-punks, ex-punks doing a sort of jokey, poppy thing, and it just sort of took control of them a bit. The the impression that I've got from uh, the kind of scant bits of history that's actually recorded about all this stuff is that um, all the bands like Kukul and things that she's in and the kind of circles that she's running in, post, obviously, first Bjork record that we don't discuss, um, and before the kind of kickoff of the Sugar Cubes, um, there's a very small kind of selective group of people who are engaging with this stuff. And so it's a really quite tight scene. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's running together. They all hang out at places, well, probably, I think, from about 1989, 1990 onwards, they're all hanging out at clubs like NASA, um, which is one of the um, only clubs in, like, Iceland. And so it's this quite interesting group of, for the time, really forward-thinking counterculture. What's the population, what's the population of Reykjavik? I have no idea. Is it, like, Let's a ginormous mass? <laughs> uh, let's Google Let's Reykjavik. Google. <laughs> uh, I'm already on Wikipedia, so... Uh... Capital of Okay. So if they're in this scene and everyone in Reykjavik knows everyone, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Nick's from, grew up in Hull. Lynn, where did you grow up? Uh, Bishop Stortford in Hertfordshire, very small. Hertfordshire. Liam? Uh, North Manchester. Okay. So, like, I mean, basically, for most of us, it's the equivalent of our local band scene when mm. we were growing up and the local indie club that was the only mm. one everyone went mm. to. And that being the entire scene in the country. Yeah, because yeah, um, I, I was reading about Kukul and they called it um, a super group. And I just, it was like the, the all the uh, best avant-garde in Iceland formed a super group. I thought that was really great. It's funny you say that because that was in, in my notes I put on, on Sugar Cubes because once I read about them, I thought the Sugar Cubes were formed out of a bunch of other bands and that yeah. I wondered if they were perceived as being like a bit of a super group. Yeah, I think they were. Within yeah. Iceland. But then, doesn't this go back to the idea of like all your mates that were in bands? At some point, some of them joined a new band with each other. And if you'd gone back, if if sixteen year old me back in Wolverhampton had gone, oh, are you going to go see my mates' band? They're like a super group now. And would just be, no, it's just it's just my mates who have just formed a new band. <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, so what? Life's too good. Came out in eighty eight. Um, I mean, what? So around about the time for me, I was watching the ITV chart show a lot. And there was always the indie chart rundown would, would come up. And that was when the indie chart included Kylie, because Kylie was on an indie label. In theory, they were an indie label. So, so I didn't really know what the indie chart was supposed to be. But birthday was everywhere. You know, I mean, 14-year-old me. Yeah, 14-year-old me. Birthday was everywhere. You could not, every week, birthday was on. and that so i mean this went platinum i mean as an album this was an unexpected crazy success probably on the back of birthday i mean i, I heard mm-hmm. they, they got on snl they, they got onto letterman over the years they all they, they became global stars mm. of this weird little pop album with weird lyrics i mean there's a song about cycling is what this is the one with she's cycling along there's a car crash and she's singing about the car crash that and, motor oh, crash yeah yeah and it's just what <laughs> How did this become so big? How did this become a platinum seller? I mean, Liam, I mean, from what you can gather, um, what was happening with them when this was taking off? I mean, were they embracing it or were they just going, oh? Um, that, that's a, oh, God, that's a really tough question. Oh, God, can you frame that slightly differently? That's a really hard question for me. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, Liam, what happened when they got successful? Mm. 
Well, um, birthday was obvious. Yeah, as you say, you've kind of you've already got there. Really, birthday was already massive, and I think the immediate response seems to have been, "Let's do more." Immediately, let's do more, and then so they're kind of back into the studio almost immediately to release an album the very next year, which is the here today, tomorrow, next week. Um, yeah, so they're kind of pumping out this stuff at a rate of knots to try and kind of capitalize on this. Um, I suppose what was at the time a really kind of unique uh, kind of palette that they're bringing together with you know Bjork on one side and then Einar doing Einar. Uh... Uh, we, got, we, we do have to discuss Einar at some point. We do have to talk about Einar. Einar's episode. He's never coming back. Let's, no. Let's bring it. Go on. So just go. Okay. Okay. So, so um, for various reasons, um, listeners, this this episode got stalled a bit. And usually, what I do is I because I'm busy. I finish listening to the albums about a day before, and so I don't really have time to go back over stuff. So what, my opinions are are pretty much quite fresh. Um, I've had an extra week to go back over the sugar cubes, and my opinions last week were really quite positive. Einar has really started to piss me off. <laughs> um, it's sort of like there's a. It's, it's like I can imagine. I don't know. There's a Fiona Apple song or a jo- no, a Joanna Newsom song. I'm listening to this amazing Joanna Newsom song, and then somebody suddenly this voice pops up and goes, "Oh, oh, spaghetti!" And I'm just like, <laughs> "What is he doing there?" <laughs> it's like. Uh, the way I can describe Einar, if you if you've not dug into the sugar cubes yet, it is post punk, but they've accidentally given the lead vocal to Flavor Flav. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Kind of what Einar does in this, I think. I think it's a sort of unique yeah. double act, though Einar and Björk together, because mm. because he pulls the unusual feat of making Björk seem like the straight part of the act. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, listeners who are not from the UK, you may not have seen like the show Peep Show, but I've just seen imagining there was a scene where they all got into a, a studio and there was like Jess and there was Super Hands and there was their girlfriend at the time. And this is how I imagine it is. They're all doing something. And I know it's like the Jez from Peep Show yeah. who's just sort of there and no one's told him to go away yet. <laughs> and there's one song that Bjork's singing and he just repeats her line in a really bad out of key. <laughs> Oh, poor Einar. I feel like I want to defend him now. Well, no, you should. I, I, I like that Einar has his defenders. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure we have any of them here. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I can defend him a little bit. I mean, I think he, he is irritating. And everybody I've said to, I'm listening to Sugar Cubes, everyone's going, oh, is that the one where there's a man going bicycle in, in, a, in a strange <laughs> accent? I'm like, yeah, that's the one. Um, and he is like Flavor Flav. But I think at the same sort of time, there were bands like the B-52s, and it reminded me of that. And, uh, and you know, the two different voices, a male and female voice. And also, I, I like, for example, Motor Crash, where they tell a story together. There's a few songs where it kind of works, where you've got a male and female voice. And if you watch the video to Motor Crash, it really, it, like, Ina's the police officer and Bjork's the uh, criminal on the on the motorbike. It, it's quite, it, I quite like it. And then that one about, uh, later on, eat, eat the menu, where Bjork's the uh, annoyed waitress and Einar can't choose what to eat, you know, and they're kind of like singing a little quirky song together. And I thought, well, that's actually quite nice. And I think Bjork must have liked Einar doing this, otherwise she'd have kicked him out. Surely they would have kicked him out sooner if they really well, didn't like it, him being there. Band? Well, I don't maybe know, but she could have just said, I'm not doing band. this anymore. I, I heard a story, uh, I, think it was, uh, I think it was from John Henderson, that basically... Um, 
whenever they were in sort of record meetings and stuff, they'd wait until Einar went for a piss or something <laughs> and then offer them a sweetener to kick him out of the band. <laughs> I, I kind of oh, always got Einar. the... Imp- poor Einar. I kind sorry, of sorry. always got the impression that Einar was the one who was kind of the head, like figurehead of the band, whether he actually had any say in what went on, whether he actually provided mm. any direction or brought anything to this. I honestly don't know, but I always get the impression that Einar is kind of the lead of the sugar cubes to the point where it seems mm. like even though Bjork is clearly the point where the interest happens that she's kind of shoved to the back behind Einar's mm. mm. inflatable there is that weird thing. ego I mean he, he is front and centre quite a lot uh, and he was probably very big on that scene so he probably had a bit of a reputation in Reykjavik but do you remember how with say New Kids on the Block, there was one who really couldn't sing. I think it was Jordan. I'm not sure. Like they'd go step one, and somebody would sing. And I step two, you can't do that thing. And like, and also Post Spice. I mean, for me, Einar is like the Post Spice. Every so often, <laughs> they go, "Oh Jesus, you're, you're flat. Why are you doing this?" Well, I, I, um, by the way, we talked about not having mass, many people on to defend Einar. Um, previous guest Aaron Troy White, we know for a fact, is a big defender of Einar. But also, whenever I I can't remember what Einar looks like, but in my head, I picture him looking like Aaron Troy White. I don't know why. <laughs> we need to add pictures of them side by side to the show yeah. notes. You realise that, yeah. yeah. I'll, well, of I'll course, gotcha. Einar went on to, you know, do quite a lot of interesting things off the Sugar Cubes. He's, he's well respected in that kind of alternative kind of post-punk sort of music scene. And, uh, you know, uh, he recorded with Marky Smith. Yeah, that's right. And recorded, so, you know, he has got, fans around the world it must be weird to be the second strangest person in that room (laughs) (laughs) mark i mean (laughs) Um, he had worked with bjork though he had he had um there was a thing uh, i can't remember what i watched it recently of bjork looking inside of television oh that is yeah yeah yeah. and here's the city and it's like a little town and i'm just like yeah but you sounded more normal than i know Um, okay, before we move on, there's also, I mean, sound-wise, there's a whole mishmash of various things going on. There's this sort of gothy bass from the mm, 80s, mm. picking through a few things. They haven't quite got into the synth of later albums. Um, Delicious Demon That's has an tune. amazing indie chorus, which yeah. sometimes doesn't fit with the verse, but it's still a great tune. It's um, a great tune. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great, they're a great, great, great indie band. I'm not sure... They're a platinum-selling indie band, if I'm honest. There are other bands, I think, who probably would have deserved more. But if you, are, if you were Iceland's number one, which makes you uh, sort of a rarity for the rest of the world, you're singing in, generally in English, so American and the UK will embrace you a bit. You've got Bjork, who is interesting, and she's cultivated her voice by this point, mm. uh, which, which I read was a deliberate thing, that she deliberately went for the... Uh, tone shifts like she worked on it a little bit in, in, in her team um, this is going to be interesting and successful you know um, and Einar's still there so fair play to it fair play. actually fair play Einar fair play yeah, yeah he managed fair three play. albums didn't he he managed three good yeah. Yeah. Sugar Cubes records so fair dues to him yeah, just I, I always thought um, Birthday was very much like The Cure as well. I wondered if there was a bit of a kind of crossover, you know, with that sound becoming very popular and the quirky lyrics. I mean, the video is like a Cure video with uh, little plastic spiders and things like that. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it did remind me, of, and there was a, there is a kind of goth overtone, I, I agree. 
some of the stuff reminds me a bit of Susie and the Bunches and uh, Cold Sweat reminds me of The Cure. Um, and that was very much of the time, wasn't it? That's kind of in flavour in 1988. Yeah, yeah. But it's and also got... It. I mean, the band... Sorry. Leo, no, no, go, go for it. Okay. Um, that's it. The band is basically a mix of people who were in anarch, anarchist punk goth groups. Um, all I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, we've got Bjork, we've got Einar, and we've got Ziggy on drums, and two who I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Um, but apparently they all came from... They, brought, they came from bands that were far more alternative, I guess, in terms of what our ears would perceive. And they created a pop album. It would be like if uh, someone from the Sisters of Mercy um, and Marky e. Smith and, uh, I don't know, some, uh, someone from The Clash got together and made a, made a pop album. They kind of end up with, as a consequence of that, though, they kind of end up, whilst they do sort of fit, like Susie and the Banshees is a great comparison, actually, where they kind of fit in that kind of gothy, post-punky, somewhere in that in that zone. And it is very popular. There's weird stuff going on that no one else would do. Like, even in Birthday, which, like you say, was a... a did, it, did it hit number one? I can't remember, but it was a huge single. Um, The second verse for that is out of tune, like purposefully out of tune to the point where it kind of grates on you. And no one else would have done that at the time. Everyone would just gone, you're, you're insane. But because they're kind of yeah. coming out of this like, little indie place, it's a bit more self-produced, it's a bit more independent from everything that's going on, they can get away with breaking rules a little bit. I mean, well, I mean, obviously, you, no, nobody would be surprised to hear that, I mean, that one of the first times it was played in the UK was John Peel. Um, and I will say, and I was reading earlier, I'm literally reading right now. Um, it got number one in the 87, 1987 Festive 50. Festive 50. Oh, so obviously no, it was... It was sort of uh, uh, taken on by people. And, they, they, yeah, they played Saturday Night Live. I mean, they, they played a, a show in New York and Bowie and Iggy Pop came to watch them. They were the thing. Um, okay, so probably a good time. We've already mentioned, Liam already mentioned that they were basically decided to throw another one out pretty much immediately uh, to try and build that momentum. And so the next year we had Here Today, Tomorrow, Next Week, um, which... Does have double? Uh, could you say double Einar? I mean, uh, yeah. can I have another album with more Einar? It does have more Einar. <laughs> I was I was looking at my notes for this, and it just said he's louder, more intrusive, and even less coherent. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. That's my scathing I, review of Einar in this. I've got this one on vinyl, and it's like it sort of folds out, gate folds sleeve. And it's just the inside picture of the bunch of the band all wearing like white, you know, all white sort of pajamas and whatnot. And you're looking at them going, oh, that could be a really serious dinner party. I'm not sure any of you are in fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay, so it wasn't as successful, but how can you be not being as successful as a platinum selling album? I mean, Sub Pop as a label have two platinum albums in their history. It's not that easy to do. Um, I mean, again, the big. Let's go straight to the big one. We've got Re Regina. Mm. I guess would be the, the natural successor to Birthday, right? I mean, mm. in terms of sound and in terms of you know, sort of all encompassing thing. I mean, Nick. I mean, where? I mean, even on the last one compared to this one. I mean, do you think the Sugar Cubes are following an interesting indie path? Um, that's a hard one. I mean, I, I, I think I definitely prefer the debut album to this one, um, and. Default does, unfortunately, lie at Einar's door. 
But what I was wondering is if anyone can shed any light on the story that Bjorn and Benny were going to produce it, Bjorn and Benny from ABBA, and it fell through. You see, I read that somewhere, but it feels like one of those things that might have just been added to Wikipedia as a joke. I need a source <laughs> for that. That's a... I know, exactly. This is why I'm... Citation I'm, I'm, needed. Citation I'm, needed. This is why I'm adding the caveat. <laughs> that, that it feels like that. But I want that to be true. I really do. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't particularly love this. I, I find it the least interesting of the three. Yeah, I've, I found it less successful. I like that first track, Tidal Wave. I thought it had a really nice different sound to it with the kind of horns and things like that, a bit kind of Afrobeat. Um, and then Regina's after that. And then I find I'm losing interest uh, probably within about three or four tracks. And then I look I look back through the track listing and I'm looking at, you know, Dear Plastic Shooting. And I'm thinking, I don't even remember hearing any of these. They just seem to go on and on and on, um, unfortunately. It feels quite bloated as well, I think. Yeah. How many tracks are we on? 16 tracks and 50 yeah, minutes? Yeah, it's very long. Well, yeah. it's, 16 with, it's 16 with bonus. The original one is 13, and it's 13 tracks and it's 41 minutes. Even with the 16 tracks, it's only 50 minutes. Mm. That's a bad sign, though. If a 41-minute album feels bloated. Yeah, I think the um, what I read, um, the bonus tracks only appeared on the CD or download versions. The original, they're not on my vinyl. My vinyl's mm. 13. Um, and yeah, side two barely gets to listen. Side one comes on. Regina, brilliant. Uh, mm. Tidal Wave, Planet, like sing- the singles, mm. the ones I remember. Mm. Um, but then everything else just sort of just fades off. Mm. Can I also mention as an aside that all the Sugar Cubes albums have absolutely awful artwork? No! <laughs> I like it. Go on then, Leo. Defend, defend the Sugar Cubes This sleeves. one is awful. This looks like a Pot Willie itself record. It, it really does. Whoa, 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 whoa. I will defend Pot Willie itself records. He didn't say sounds like one. He said it looks like one. <laughs> looks Come on, like don't one. defend the Pot Willie itself's artwork. <laughs> it looks, like, it looks like someone's done like a, a GCSE version of Design Republic. It's really weak. It's hideous, but... Um, I really like the first album cover, and I think um, Stick Around for Joy, the, the third album, I love the Stick Around for Joy cover. It's beautiful. Okay, I'm, I'm glad it has defenders like I now, but obviously you're wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not willing to die on that hill. It's it's fine. <laughs> oh, please do. We'll, we'll get loads of mileage from that in the, in the trailer. <laughs> you're wrong, and these um, are the reasons, Nick. <laughs> um, but that's it. I mean... I mean, it's often, I mean, we've there have been many bands that have the difficult second album syndrome, uh, some more famously and have tanked coming, you know, coming back. Like, I mean, it's obviously the Stone Roses found their second album much more difficult. I mean, this was churned out. At least this was churned out within a year. Nobody had to wait five, mm. six years for this to come back. And everyone went, oh, I know still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, um, rushed, yeah. they rushed into it by the sounds of things, and it became a bit of um, quantity over quality, maybe. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. I'm, I'm, um, I mean, I'm desperately trying to find things to say about this. Although, I mean, I guess at the time, this Bjork was already starting to do solo-y stuff and moving. Uh, she was already, after this album, essentially moving on from yeah. Um, yeah. the rest of the band. Um, I mean, how old was she at this point? So she was in her early 22. 20s? Early 20s, yeah. She already had her first child when she was 20 as well. Yeah. She was a member of the band, no? Yeah. The member of the Sugar yeah. Cubes. Yes, I think so, yeah. Siggy? I yeah, think. the drummer, I think, yeah. Yeah. Can I just read you out a line that I wrote of lyrics that I wrote down? 
that I was Absolutely. Can you do it in the accent? <laughs> yeah. It's a line from Dream TV. So the, the um, track's about Ina watching the television, and it says, like a lame turtle, I pace the room. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know whether like lame turtles were, um, you know, a point of reference in Iceland that maybe, we don't get. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that was a great image. And then, and and the, the track now, because because I, I used to be an English teacher, I do tend to look at words. It, it's the only uh, song I've ever listened to that's got the phrase gastric disorders in. <laughs> and uh, oh, you know, the, the, I've listened the, the, to a lot of Morrissey a... in my life, and even he doesn't get to that. So. <laughs> oh, but that's the beautiful thing. I mean, if you look back at the lyrical content and the subject matter of all of their songs. At some point, there's there's gastric flu, there's menstruation and periods in one of them. Mm. There's eat, there's eating in restaurants. There's there's motorcycle crashes. There's just all this weird stuff that you wouldn't get, to be fair, from most people. I mean, I think I, mean, I can't imagine any other band having this sort of mismatch of eccentric lyrical, I don't know, influences, right? Yeah. I wondered if it's a second language thing as well that it gave them a bit of freedom to to be a bit more crazy and well, how they, that they wrote they wrote all the songs in Icelandic and and recorded them in Icelandic as well for the domestic market and then translated them, which may Google account for some of the is it weirdness. Google Translate? <laughs> oh my god! It's, because but I mean you all remember right? I mean and listener, you probably remember if you're of any age um, when translation things first appeared on the internet the comedy of translating things into Japanese or Icelandic and back again. What you <laughs> yes. got back was hilarious. I, I think there was a public enemy one, uh, you know, base, how low can you go? Translated back as something about um, uh, upsetting your ancestors. It, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. it was like this beautiful track. So I'm really hoping that the Sugar Cube's lyrical weirdness is a translator issue. Um, okay, so Björk was already moving on. Uh, there were. She it sounded like she sort of wanted to get away. But Liam, am I right in thinking that the next album in '92 was a sort of contractually obliged thing that they had a three-album deal and they had to do it? I think "Stick Around for Joy" was yeah their final kind of swan song. Deal with it. But that being said, it doesn't feel like um as opposed to the second record, as opposed mm. to that one that we've had struggle we've struggled to say anything interesting about. Um, this one actually has content that you want to engage with because it's got tracks like hit on it and hit is mm. it's great yeah maybe along with birthday and um, the sugar cube's finest moment and features just a pinch of einar oh but the worst einar it has to work hit hit as i said ouch that really hurt love that, it i mean that that is hit <laughs> i think i think um when it when we get into this record there's a lot of kind of self-awareness going on I think Einar knows exactly what he's doing in this record. <laughs> in the like well, the previous two, he's just been kind of let loose. Just yeah, uh, yeah, go play in the corner, enjoy yourself. I remember the first time I heard it. It was you, you know, like when you were younger, you went to a certain indie indie music night or rock night or whatever, and in your town, everyone every indie night played a mix of the same sort of stuff. There were certain songs that happened a lot, and you assumed that was every indie night. And then one Saturday, round, I don't know, 92, 93, I uh, went with my friends over to Birmingham to the Hummingbird for another indie night. And it was a totally different set of music. And I was like, what? What is this? Um, where's, where's the um, Primal Scream coming in five minutes after you hear the, just what is it you want to do? And then Primal <laughs> Scream turns up five minutes later. Where's all this stuff? And Hit was there. And it was the first time I'd ever heard it. I think I danced. 
because other people were dancing. I instantly remember the rap because it was as bad as John Barnes in 1990. <laughs> you order uh, <laughs> World in Motion. Um, I, I, I think I actually wrote. What's worse, John Barnes rap or Einar? Let's have a let's have a poll, Nick. <laughs> oh, I, I, for worse, John Barnes. Ah. <laughs> I gotta say John Barnes because I feel like John Barnes is like legitimately trying. With Einar, I that, yeah, I think he knows that he's a bit annoying. Yeah. Just, but he doesn't give a shit. Um, well, I've always, I think I've already lost. I'm just, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna complete the circle anyway. Lynn? Have I got to say which one's worse? Yeah, John Barnes. Are, John Barnes catch uh, me if you give you can because I'm the I've England got man. A real, or... I've got a real affection for very poor quality '90s rap, so I think I'm going to have to say Einar's worse. <laughs> <gasps> yes, <laughs> it's a tie. It's a tie. Um, the first person to listen to this and comment Einar or John Barnes on Instagram will decide officially who is who is the worst. So, Liam. Um, so what? What's changed musically for this? I mean, you said hit is almost, you know, or is up there with, say, birthday or whatnot as a song. And why is this album better than the last one? We talked about how the last one was a bit baggy and bloated. Is this one just tighter or are they just better musicians or what? Timing-wise, we've definitely got tighter. I think in terms of influences, the thing is broader. It doesn't feel like they're just trying to do like a little, um, his little Hawaiian nod in something like Tidal Wave or this is kind of a, dark thing that we kind of did a few years ago with Kukul or whatever it might be, it feels like a legitimate opportunity that they're capitalising on because the band's imploded by this point, so they might as well just have fun, go explore, do this, do that, and it's got this really quite wide range of stylistic influences going on. So the dark stuff, the kind of weird out-of-tune stuff that you got on previous records kind of is starting to disappear, but then you get um, absolute stone-cold hitters on it, so gold Great opening track. Hits, awesome. Uh, Hetero Scum, great name. Um, great track as well. Like It's just, it's, to be honest, I think it's probably the most rounded and the most interesting of the Sugar Cubes album. Whether it's the best, that's a different question. But it's definitely the most kind of rounded and most okay. varied. Um, Lynn, I'm going to take that idea, but I'm going to rephrase it slightly. Lynn, could, can this be one of their most rounded and possibly one of their best albums with such an such a dog shit of a final track as Chihuahua. <laughs> oh, I love Chihuahua. <laughs> it's, batsh- it's, le- it's legitimately batshit crazy. I mean, this uh, is... Yeah, is- Chihuahua's great, though. You get it stuck in your head. You can't stop singing it. Um, uh, yeah, I-, I think it's an interesting album. It's um, The lyrics go into quite dark areas, you know, like Leash Called Love, for example, and, and Hit as well. You know, you're starting to see a bit more of a grown-up range of sort of imagery and, and sounds which I like. Uh, the the track that I find really puzzling um, and, I, and I can't fit it into the album is Vitamin, you know, where it just stops for like a football chorus in the middle of it and uh, a whistle at the end. It just seemed really, really kind of crazy song. So I like the fact that they were still really exuberant and still having a lot of fun and I think, yeah, they knew it was their last the last one out, and they knew they could do brilliant stuff like Golden Hit, but they could also, they've got the room to do something tough like Chihuahua or Vitamin and ju- and just have fun with it. I found Vitamin, to be that, the whole idea of breaking it into something else in the middle and then coming back. There's a track on a later album, a solo album, uh, which I think we'll do next episode, where I think in the music video she goes into another room and the music cuts out. A That's on the on Baby, yeah. Um, 
but also on the album you hear that yeah so you're not watching the idea of it's very meta and, and sort of clever and it's sort of playing with even the, the idea of what is a song as opposed to um i mean i was talking to a friend the other day and i hate the word content to describe things that i like and the word content is being used to describe many things books music etc and he made a good point he said yeah but bjork particularly in her late years she's making content she's producing this sort of multi-spatial thing that's not just music anymore mm. and so maybe my idea of content as this sort of money-making filler is the archaic one you know i mean what is if you're not if you're making music that's also referencing music and then there's a silent bit and it's playing around with what songs are i don't know i mean maybe maybe they were ahead of the game back in the day not a great point Liam's, Liam, Liam's got a look on his face that most guests have, which is, you and shut up. No, no, it's, it's not. It's, um, you've just kind of, you've triggered off an idea. So basically, um, the Sugar Cubes have probably made one good album and all the rest of their content is, as you say, filler. And uh, they're, they're best of. What, um, the Great Crossover Potential album. Uh-huh. It's actually, that should be just the only thing Sugar Cubes you ever listen to, I think. That's the thing that kind of distills all the cool stuff from all those records then into one thing. And I love the fact that it even finishes with Chihuahua again. Excellent. Excellent. Just to, just to get that knife in one last time for you, you. I have to say, I don't think we've ever done an episode where the conclusion was uh, just listen to the best stuff, to be no, honest. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it would make temporary fandom so much easier, wouldn't it? Would, it? Wouldn't it? Oh, it would. It would save so much what? time. Need that Alan <laughs> Partridge clip. That oh, best yeah, the, the best stuff. Who's got the best ones? Um, but it, for me as well, this sort of sound, this late eighties, early nineties sound, particularly what they were doing, um, the indie dance slightly. There's a bit of dancey in there. There's some synth in there, and it lends itself to those sort of twelve-inch B-side dance remixes. Um, and even like the Leash Called Love got a dance remix and became a, a, a smash. Like dance floors across America became massive, really? like, top of the dance charts, and. I almost think that maybe that was a bit of a help in nudging which way Bjork goes next with her solo stuff. The fact that there was a dance smash with her voice on it. And it, it was huge. It was really, really big. Um, they, her voice lends itself very well to being remixed and put over dance tunes. And I believe the kids still say fat beats. Do they? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, um. <laughs> I'm baffled now okay. what to say. So <laughs> how did the sugar cubes end? Liam, I mean what happened? Was it just yeah, bye, see ya? Realistically, it was kind of done by the time they're making this record. It, they very quickly kind of collapsed like um what's the phrase? Like, collapsed like a flan in After a cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you, really? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's a different podcast, definitely. Um but a few things do spin out from it. So we get the best of comp, which is actually a really good best of comp. We also get um, another compilation called It's It, which is the thing that has that uh, Leech Call Love remix, which I think is the Tony Humphreys remix off the top of my head, um, which is the one that makes it really big. But she's also she. She's not she yet. She's a they yet. Um, they're also kind of throwing out a really interesting group of people remixing for her. And this becomes like a pattern for the rest of Bjork's career, realistically, because of the people she's going to work with or kind of guest with. 
she's doing stuff on this record with Graham Massey from 808 Stay and doing stuff with, uh, like I say, Tony Humphreys. Justin Robinson, who's really connected with like the Boys Own stuff, is on there. And Todd Terry, like really great dance music producers and remix albums become a kind of staple of the rest of Bjork's career. And I think this is in part responsible for it. Um, but we did actually miss a step. I often do that. No, no, it's okay. It makes more sense to go, Bjork, sugar cube, sugar cube, sugar cube. And then we have to jump back because she actually did an album in 1990. And, oh, yes. Yeah. It was on my next page and I heard 1990 question mark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm... I, 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 this was the one we were going to cover this, by the way, listener. I mean, it's not like... You know, we, it was actually in the plot. It was on the list. Uh, I just skipped through to the end of the sugar cube. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Liam. Um, now, is my writing right again? Are these L's? Glinglow. Yes. Yeah, Glinglow. So, um, uh, arguably, my favourite thing that Bjork does before she becomes a solo artist. Um, okay. It comes from 1990, post the second Sugar Cubes album uh, here today. She's hanging out, according to an apocryphal tale anyway, hanging out in uh, Hotel Bog and meets a couple of Icelandic jazz musicians. And they eventually just record a trad, like, not trad jazz, but traditional jazz standards album take loads of american jazz standards like oh my and papa just translate them into icelandic and just do this adorable little jazz album and um, it doesn't do much it's kind of a bit of a curiosity it doesn't it doesn't score you know big on charts or anything like that but i think it's really worthwhile kind of mentioning and just pointing out because it's a beautiful little kind of nugget and even if you hate jazz oh, it's adorable oh but absolutely i mean when i was listening to it and I was listening to it going, oh, I didn't expect this. And then my brain instantly went, oh, oh, that makes sense. Fast forward to next episode. Shh. I mean, there is, a, there is an obvious link from what she's doing here to this love of the big, which sort of come, comes later. Um, Lynn, was Glinglow, Gling, my God, it's hard to say, was Glinglow uh, new to you? Yeah, completely new to me. I mean, I, I wasn't into the sugar cubes at all. Although I was like 18 when, you know, the first album came out and I should have been into it. I just, it was a bit arty for me, so I kind of left them to one side. Uh, so I, and I certainly didn't know anything about this uh, Glinglow. But I, I am a big jazz fan. Um, being a member of the Philip Larkin Society, it's, you know, we listen to a lot of jazz. And uh, I thought it was great. I really liked hearing all those um, jazz classics sung in Icelandic. And I thought it was very, very charming. Yeah, so I'm actually going to get myself a copy because I couldn't get it on my streaming service. So I'm going to actually order a CD off the internet of the album. Wow. I don't understand that word, a CD. That's all <laughs> I could find. Well, there were some very expensive vinyl copies, but I wasn't going to get them. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was really good. So thank you very much for introducing me to Gling Glow. It was uh, like a little revelation. I really enjoyed it. Um, Nick, how are you with... Um... Post pre end breakup sugar cubes big bad big band jazz Icelandic. Well, weirdly, uh, the first time I listened to it, um, I didn't really like it. To be honest, I was just sort of thinking. I, I guess I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it was a jazz album, and I guess I was sort of a bit annoyed that it was very trad jazz. I thought it was going to be something a bit more interesting. Knowing knowing Björk, you just thought it would be more. I don't know. I, I guess experimental or or 
challenging in some way. I, I don't know. And I only listened to it the once before we were going to record. And then, and then today I thought, do you know what? I'm going to listen to Glinglow again, just in case. <laughs> and I really liked it. It was that second thing when you go in and, you, and you've kind of, you're going with different expectations. I think I'd read somewhere someone referring to it as being like a Christmas album. And I think I went in with that kind of expectation. I thought, yeah, this is quite nice. I kind of like this. And I, I, so second time around, I really enjoyed it. I think it's just, it's one of those things where it's just about what you expect from an album before you listen to it and the mood you're in when you listen to it. Um, it's definitely worth hearing, but probably, yeah, you have to know what you're going to get. Um, Liam, as far as you know, was did she ever perform this stuff live? Was there ever any big show, Gling Glow shows? Not proper, but I think well, before they actually recorded the record, the way this came about was from her doing stuff at Hotel Bog with the trio that she plays with on Glinglow. So it kind of, right. the live shows led to the record, I think, but it was all kind of quite improvisatory. It was all just a bit kind of a, a knockabout okay. thing as opposed so, to... So there are, I mean, if, if that had been more recently, there would be um, mobile phone footage of Bjork with hotel jazz band yeah. uh, shows. Which there are, yeah. there is, you can see there is some on YouTube, uh, Bjork singing some of these, well, at least one or two of these tracks. So yeah, you can see it. And it's, it's quite nice to watch, which is always good to watch, isn't she? Yeah. Even just taking apart a telly, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a perfect callback for us to end episode one of the journey of Bjork, 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 whichever one you think is right, fine, knock yourself out. Um, so we've gone through what we call, I guess, pre. When we're talking about the setup, uh, Liam and I were talking, we've got pre peak and post, although post doesn't include the album post. That'll get confusing. <laughs> but we got proper Bjork next. Um, the, the good, accessible 90s, proper Bjork. Um, so we will be back next week with a slightly different cast. Um, Lynn will still be here. Um, Lynn, uh, sadly, will not be. Um, but Lynn, it has been absolutely fantastic having you on, and we hope you come back at some point in the future. Ooh. Yes, I, I would love to come back. Um, I hold temporary fandoms very close to my heart. Um, you know, been listening to stuff with you guys since fairly early days, since about 2016. So it's lovely to come and actually talk to you all. Yeah, I think it was about 2016, 2017, The Cure, something like that. Yeah, that was One of the first one. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was before me. Oh, by the way, Elizabeth, we're talking about the Facebook group. We've referred to it several times. You, you know. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, was, I think I was Aretha Franklin. No, I, I turned up when Pink Floyd ended because previous podcast guest Scott Donald, who was a friend of mine, said, oh, you're going to, I'm doing this thing with, um, you know, that thing we, I talked to you about. We're going to do Pink Floyd. Come on. When does Pink Floyd end? And I <laughs> the, day after, the day after Pink Floyd ended. Um, I still Liam, get a sorry, ton of Madonna please. on my streaming service all the time. Sorry. It's always tricking me Madonna. <laughs> I quite <laughs> like Madonna, but oh, yet another obscure album track on my little random playlist. <laughs> That was me and Cy Sharp just ruining yeah. it for everyone. I do apologize. Um, but obviously, I mean, if you're listening to this, um, there is a Facebook group, and whatever your feelings about Facebook are, um, come along. If you really don't like Facebook, just do what I did. Delete your Facebook account, start a new one, and only be on that group, and then feel quite smug. You go, I'm not really on Facebook, but I sort of am on Facebook, but I'm not on Facebook. Um, so Liam, thank you very much for taking us through the early stuff. And we will see you next time for the Bjork, Bjork stuff, I guess. Peak and post.
he can post. And Nick. Cheers. See you later. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>